just in time for summer, the folks at Epic Brewing have released a new canned cocktail, the Utah Margarita. A delicious blend of real lime and agave, the Utah Margarita is ready to drink by the river or in the park. And here's the kicker, no need to buy it at a liquor store. Pick up a six-pack of Epic Brewing's Utah Margarita at any local Harmon's or Trader Joe's, or visit Epic Brewing on State Street in downtown Salt Lake City. It's Emily Means filling in for Ali Vallarta, and here's what Salt Lake's talking about. Maybe you haven't thought about Medicaid since 2018, when Utah voters approved a ballot initiative to fully expand it. But for low-income residents who qualify for this health care coverage, older adults, refugees, disabled people, Medicaid is front and center right now. The state of Utah is reviewing every member's eligibility, and that hasn't happened since the start of the pandemic. I have to tell you, it's blowing my mind how many Utahns are losing coverage each month. So what exactly is going on with our Medicaid program? It's Wednesday, September 13th, and this is CityCast Salt Lake. Stephanie Burdick, you are a consumer advocate for Utah's Medicaid program. So basically, you're trying to help people who qualify get the coverage they need. You know firsthand how hard it is to enroll in Medicaid. What's this process like? Yeah, so it all starts with an application, and the application is, you know, somewhere between 20 and 30 pages, depending on, like, whether you're applying for other programs in addition to Medicaid. It can be up to 88 questions. Some of them are just completely wild, right? So you have to meet eligibility criteria, but you also have to prove that you're eligible, And that proof of eligibility is where things can get really like tricky and where you see a lot of differences between various states of how much they require a person to like put out there to prove that they are in fact eligible for Medicaid. Mm. And so it can be a really tedious process. You know, in the state of Utah, eligibility is housed at the Department of Workforce Services, DWS. You have to call them. You might be on hold for 90 minutes, two hours. I mean, if you're lucky, maybe you'll only have to wait for 20 minutes, but a lot of people are on hold, especially these days for, you know, over an hour. And oftentimes those who are needing Medicaid in the moment don't have like a ton of time to spend on this. And so it can just be a really overwhelming process and the deadlines come really fast. They ask for your birth certificate, you better find it fast, right? Like if it's back at your mom's house or whatever, like you better get those things quickly because if you if you miss any of their turnaround times, then, you know, they automatically deny you. So it can be an overwhelming and stressful process. Well, I'm hoping you'll share a little bit about what this was like for you because you have in the past needed Medicaid as well. What did that process look like for you to prove your eligibility? So I was in a surfing accident in 2015 and I have a traumatic brain injury and I lost my job. Our healthcare is attached to our jobs oftentimes, right? And so my life was kind of falling apart a little bit, but this is 2015. So you and others may remember that Medicaid expansion had not passed yet. And so for a childless adult, it was incredibly difficult to get Medicaid. And you have to, again, prove then your level of 
injury or health condition meets these definitions that various government bureaucrats make for the disability population, right? Okay. I didn't know anything about like disability or anything about the process. And so, I mean, I was denied and denied and denied. And I was lucky to have a family member that was willing to really step in and advocate for me. And, and we found different government people and like started asking mm-hmm. them for help. And eventually we like were able to kind of cut the red tape, I guess you could say. Yeah. But I mean, it was over a year. I mean, it was just month after month after month of trying to figure out like, what do we need to prove this time? I gave them thousands of pages of my medical records. Like, I'm just like, what else do you need? And so eventually we were able to, again, like prove that eligibility. And then I was able to enroll. And I mean, for me, it was like, I'm just, I'm so passionate about this because I saw how much it changed my life. Or I mean, there's just so many ways in which like having access to that in the moment especially when you're in crisis, is just like everything. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, you've shown how hard it is to prove your eligibility. A regular part of the Medicaid program is reviewing that eligibility so you can renew your enrollment. Or, you know, if you're not eligible anymore, then, you know, you don't re-enroll. During the pandemic, the federal government paused this process so people wouldn't lose coverage during our public health emergency. But now we're uh, somewhat on the other side of the pandemic-ish. And so the reviews have resumed, and they're calling this the unwinding plan. You're a member of the state's Medicaid Advisory Committee, and the committee actually just sent a letter to the Utah Department of Workforce Services to express concern over the unwinding process. So, Stephanie, I'm wondering, in the committee's opinion, what is going wrong with this process as it's playing out? I'll speak a little bit for myself, but I can also reference some concerns that we addressed in the letter. But I don't want to pretend like I can speak for everybody else on the committee, but I mean, I would say that it's going badly. And I think that the committee's concerns are around issues around call wait times. Again, like I said, we have an incredibly high call wait time in the state of Utah. And then just how many people are losing coverage each month. So as these renewals come up, over 50% of people are dropping off. I mean, that's like kind of terrifying when you think about it, right? Like that's a lot of people. 50% of people who are currently enrolled in Medicaid are being kicked off of the program through this process. 50% of the ones going through the renewal each month, right? So they've kind of divided it up across the months and not necessarily because they're ineligible. This was a concern raised in the committee, a concern that that I have a lot of issues with because I've gone through it personally, but also because I hear this so much in the community. People are not being deemed ineligible. They're just being kicked off because they didn't get one of those other verification paperwork turned in or they could not continue to wait on hold. Their lunch break ended. Their boss told them to get back to work. And, you know, I mean, time is valuable, right? And people are busy. These are busy people and they have got a lot to do with their lives and they cannot wait all day long on the phone and they can't manage all the paperwork burden sometimes, right? We have people that got evicted and they have a different address and now they don't even know that they're being reviewed, right? And so they're just, they show up at the pharmacy. I just got this text this morning, someone's showing up at the pharmacy and the pharmacist is like, sorry, can't get your prescription because you don't have healthcare or you don't have Medicaid. They didn't know they had an address change. Those are concerns that we have about just how many people are losing healthcare every month. So frankly, Utah was reluctant to fully expand Medicaid and a ballot initiative kind of kicked that into gear for us. But we didn't fully expand until January 2020. I'm trying to understand exactly how many people 
are on Utah's Medicaid program right now? Like, what kind of numbers are we talking here? I can tell you that in December of 2019, there was 287,000 people enrolled. And in April of 2023, which is when the unwinding began, there was 536,000 Utahns. So obviously that was a big jump. (laughs) Yeah, big jump. And lots of things probably contributed to that, uh, namely the pandemic, maybe, where people lost their jobs. Yes. So there are some people that are ineligible, right? Like, and we didn't kick them off because that was what the public health emergency was, the pause. And also there's a lot of people who, through the last several years, they were people that were newly eligible because of Medicaid expansion, and they didn't necessarily lose eligibility, but they've never had to do this paperwork before. Mm -hmm. And so they don't even know that like these renewals are a part of the Medicaid experience. So I do not think that every single person of the 536,000 met the eligibility criteria, but I don't think, I just, I know that the numbers that we're kicking off are not necessarily ineligible. And so it is not, you don't believe, and the Medicaid Advisory Committee does not believe that 50% of these people are ineligible. Like, there's just no way. The math don't math. (laughs) Exactly. The math does not math. We requested some additional data. So if you were to look at, like, some groups where they have no economic changes in their life, they're senior citizens who are on Medicaid. And when you see one in 10 who are on Medicaid lose Medicaid, what changed in their life, right? Um, When there's people with disabilities, permanent disabilities who do not expect to see large economic changes, people weren't jumping up this economic ladder that fast. Again, some, but not the numbers that we're seeing. Got it. And so Stephanie, can you just help me understand you know, from a practical perspective, why would the government want to kick people off the Medicaid program? Practically, I mean, you want to have integrity to the eligibility criteria, right? Like if if as a country we want to change the eligibility criteria, then we need to do that through the mechanisms by which we do that. Like voting for people who say that they're going to change eligibility criteria. But right now we have what we have. And so it is important that the government maintains integrity around that eligibility criteria because that's the law and they should enforce the law. And it, you know, it would be very expensive to just never, ever question anybody's eligibility ever. But at the end of the day, like maintaining this eligibility criteria, it's reasonable and fair for that to be a responsibility of the government. The Living Traditions Festival is back in downtown Salt Lake City, May 17th through 19th. And this is when I come alive. It is so easy to sell me on three days of Washington Square and Library Square converting to a global food court. And this festival has truly been one of my favorites for years now. Living Traditions convenes the diversity of artistic traditions, food heritage, music, and art from the many cultures that have made Utah their home. You can expect everything from live music and dance to hands-on workshops, a little shopping, Sundance film screenings, and Bohemian Brewery. There is something for the whole family, and it's free entry. Come celebrate all of the rich cultures that make up our community. 
Find more information on the festival and view the full program guide at livingtraditionsfestival.com or on Instagram and Facebook at SLC Living Trad. We talk a lot on this show about our city's crown jewels. What are the institutions that open doors in our community and regulate its pulse? I choose Salt Lake Community College, and it is a home for incredibly focused Salt Lakers. Nearly 80% of their students work while going to school, many full-time jobs. If I could do college all over again, I would not be 33 and sitting on these damn student loans. And slick students aren't. 80% graduate with little to no student loan debt or save thousands knocking out credits before transferring to a four-year institution. Every day, Salt Lake Community College is transforming lives and communities through education. If you want to learn something new, refine a trade, or pursue a higher degree for the first time, explore your options at slcc.edu. Study alongside hard workers, save precious money, and be one in a class of 19, not 100. So, Stephanie, I would love some comparisons to how this is playing out nationally, because this is something that every other state is doing, uh, this unwinding plan. You said we're seeing 50 percent of people who are being reviewed monthly for their eligibility getting kicked out of the Medicaid program. What does it look like in other states? So in Utah, you know, not only are we kicking off more than 50 percent of people each month, but the vast majority of those that we're kicking off, like 97 percent in the month of June, were not deemed ineligible, but were just kicked off due to like these procedural reasons, like just administrative burden. So Arizona, for example, they were able to get looks like 65 percent of their people renewed. Massachusetts was able to get around 70% of their people and, you know, renewed. Okay. Um, so Louisiana was able to get more than us. There's a lot of states, both conservative and, you know, liberal states that have been able to do better than us. We're one of the worst in the country when it comes to just how many people every month we're just like removing Medicaid from, right. especially without even getting any paperwork back. We're literally one of the like top five in the country as far as just these procedural disenrollments. Okay. Can you just really help me understand, really clearly spell out what we're doing differently from other states? Top five worst isn't a great, (laughs) isn't a great ranking for us, you know? I mean, I think a lot of people really do want to know like what is going on differently. And I do think it's hard to like pinpoint exactly one thing, but I'll give you maybe one or two examples of things that I have found to be different um, when I look at different states, and and this is something we did raise in the letter as well, which is that states have an opportunity to use the data that the government already has about us to automatically recertify people. So Utah and every other state does use this process called ex parte, and this automatic process to just keep people enrolled in the program some states are just using more. Like they are just saying, we want more of the people that we are recertifying to use this automatic process. And we're just using less. Um, Our letter does ask them to like increase this, to pause kicking anybody off Medicaid until they are able to get more people 
going in this like automatic process. There's an argument to be made that like the workers at DWS are like under a lot of stress right now with the amount of people that they're having to do this for. It would help the workers and it would help the people if we were just to use more of this like automatic process and also to to pause it until they can kind of figure that out um, would be helpful. But some states have different messaging. I can't think of another state that uses their job agency to like do social service eligibility. I think there's definitely a role that like job agency, workforce agencies play in, you know, unemployment, but to put SNAP and Medicaid and like these programs into a workforce agency, that was a confusing element for me in my own experience. And so I can imagine that I'm not the only one and and that some people just don't understand why they're calling like a jobs agency whenever they're trying to deal with healthcare. Sure. Some states put out more language access, right? Like we have a lot of gaps in language access where the primary language in their home is not English. There's higher rates of these individuals and families being kicked off. So it does seem like there are a lot of questions around how this process is playing out, so much so that this even came up during a state legislative committee hearing at which Kevin Burt, the deputy director of the Department of Workforce Services, so the agency that's handling this process, you know, he said that it is a ton of work for his staff and the legislature didn't appear to give them more funding for staff to do this. He also says, you know, they're sending out letters that people are probably... I don't know, just like throwing away with the rest of their junk mail. So, uh, you know, Kevin Burt says his department is doing what they can to make this happen. But at the same time, we're hearing from state senator Jake Andrig that his own son lost coverage, even though he was still eligible and despite having called the department multiple times and, you know, waiting on hold for an hour. Is there a chance that we'll see this unwinding process change anytime soon so fewer people are losing coverage? That's a hard question to answer, to be honest, because I wish I could say yes. I think that they want to do more ex parte automatic renewals. That's what they've committed to the Medicaid Advisory Committee. Um, We'll see how many people were kicked off last month. From what I've heard, I don't think the numbers are going to look great. I think at this point, they just need to pause it. Like they need to pause until they can figure out like how many more automatic renewals can we do? How do we address this communication, right? Like school just started. I mean, we had 43,000 children lost healthcare over the summer, 43,000 children. You've got parents trying to take their kid to the pediatrician for the beginning of school, finding out that they don't have it anymore. And so schools could help us get more kids, right? Re-enrolled. There are so many things that could be done if we could just pause it, because in the meantime, you don't want to see these kids and like other people like losing access to healthcare. And so I think that government has a responsibility to build trust with the people who, for, for all of us, but like for those that are actually utilizing the programs, like if they don't trust their government to care about them and they might feel like they've been stigmatized or shamed or humiliated by some of these really invasive processes, they're less likely to then reach out for help, but also maybe just recognize that sometimes we all make mistakes. And if the government has made a mistake, it's just like one way to build trust is to just own up to like your inadequacies. They really wanted to show and signal their concern and their compassion. I think that pausing and and recalibrating a plan and owning up to what's not gone well would be one way to do it. And then I could say, yeah, I feel great. I think that they're really learning. I think it's gonna be a really great opportunity for us to make the system better. But um, 
you know, all of us in the community and advocates, I mean, we're all incredibly concerned. We need to do something because this is not, yeah, this ain't this it. Is not, this ain't it. <laughs> Yeah. This, this, this can't fly anymore <laughs> for Senator Andrek's son and for all the people that I'm talking to. Let's make it the best managed state for people who don't have a lot of political power, but are just as valuable to this state and are working, busy people that like deserve to have an opportunity to thrive. If people are listening whose Medicaid enrollment is up for renewal at this time, what do they need to know? Give us the, the, the basic details that will help people stay on this program if they're eligible. Most important question um, to ask, I would say practically individuals who have my case, which is the virtual portal, should check my case for notices as well as for their renewal month. So one really great thing that Utah has done that other states have not is that we are telling people in their virtual portal like what month we expect their renewal to be. So that would be a really great thing for people to do. If they find that they their Medicaid has been closed or if they just have questions in general, they can call 211 and talk to Take Care Utah. They can reach out to organizations like Holy Cross Ministries, like try to reach out for help, ask someone to help you get through this paperwork because your healthcare and your child's healthcare, your family's healthcare matters. And so I think it can be so overwhelming. And I hear people say, I just don't want to go through this. I'm just not even going to do it. And that to me is heartbreaking. You deserve to take care of yourself and take care of your family. And that means using the benefits that you are eligible for and you are entitled for. I think that sometimes people, when we're struggling, when we go through poverty or different things in life, I think they're so stigmatized. Like it kind of attacks you at like a like a personal level where you just feel like you are less worthy. Um, reject that message <laughs> and let somebody else help you carry that burden, but get through it so that you can keep your health care. Stephanie Burdick, Consumer Advocate for Utah's Medicaid Program. Thank you so much for your time and for, um, and for your service to the community. Thank you so much for covering this. I appreciate it, Emily. The Utah Department of Workforce Services has said they're seeing some percentage of people who are eligible for coverage re-enrolling after they get removed. So that's good news. The department has through April 2024 to review Utah's Medicaid eligibility through this whole unwinding process. That's all for us today on CityCast Salt Lake. Thank you for listening. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more from around the city. Bye. Thank you.